Today we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. My idea for this show was to invite guests and get the conversation started, to take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. And we encourage our listeners to look within themselves to take decisive action to make a positive difference. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers, and I am so excited to begin our Black History Month series. And I'm even more excited to begin our Black History Month series with this particular topic today, which is entitled, I am a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Now, I am thrilled to have with me today my guest, Miss Risha Rainey, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. But first, let me set this up, because I think that this is very, very important. And I find this to be a very unique opportunity and a unique topic to explore for Black History Month. As we begin our Black History Month series, let us take an in-depth journey into America's history of interracial relationships. The thought that interracial relationships is a modern trend or fad in America could not be further from the actual truth. Um, tune in as we explore these unique relationships that are deeply embedded in America's history with my special guest and host of Daughter, Daughters... Daughter Dialogues. Daughter Dialogues. Thank you. <laughs> Daughter Dialogues, Miss Risha Rainey. Now, let me tell you about a little bit about Risha. Risha is an American tech entrepreneur and oral historian who dedicates her time to telling the unique stories of Black Americans who are descended from veterans of the Revolutionary War. Historians estimate that between 5,000 and 6,000 enslaved people and free people of color fought in the Revolutionary War, and Risha has been instrumental in telling their family's stories through her popular podcast, Daughter Dialogues. Yes. <laughs> Got it that time. Yes. Risha herself is a descendant of the grandfather of President Thomas Jefferson, one of America's founding fathers and the third president of the United States. Risha is related to Mary Turpin, an enslaved black woman who married Jefferson's second cousin. Risha's relatives, Edwin and Mary Turpin, lived until their deaths as a married couple, although their marriage was not legally recognized in neighboring houses on a plantation in Goochland County, Virginia. Is that Goochland? Goochland. Gooch Goochland, okay. Risha is also a non-resident fellow at Harvard University's W.E.B. Du Bois Research Institute at the Hutchins Center for African and American African and African American Research, under the the supervision of Harvard University professor Henry Louis Gates Jr. She conducts her oral history research into Black descendants of the Revolutionary War. Risha is also a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution where she was elected Maryland's first black officer in the society. Please help me welcome my special guest today, Ms. Risha Rainey. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill, for having me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I wanna jump into this straight away. So I, I need you to explain 
and jump into our connection to Thomas Jefferson the second. That is correct. Thomas Jefferson the second. He is the grandfather of our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Okay. Thomas Jefferson the second had a great grandson named Edwin Turpin. Edwin Turpin is my third great grandfather, making Thomas Jefferson the second my fifth great grandfather. Edwin Turpin married a slave named Mary. Mary's from Louisiana. And he took her to Canada to marry her because it wasn't legal here in the United States. And he brought her back to Virginia where he was living. And it was common in those days for a white man to have both a white wife and a slave wife, but he never had a white wife, only a slave wife. And when I say a slave wife, again, he was, he married her in Canada, but considering that none of these slave wife relationships were legal legally recognized in the United States. And it was unusual for him to want to show her something to validate that relationship by going all the way to go to Canada and marry her. In addition to that, it was not typical for a white man to have his quote unquote slave wife live with him in the same home, but they did live in the same house and the neighbors didn't like that. And they burned down the home. And they rebuilt and went on to have seven or eight children. Wow. Wow. That is, you know, it's very interesting because there are several points within what you just said that are points of commitment, a commitment to numerous things, a commitment to each other, uh, and also a commitment to, you know, to live together, uh, a formalization of a commitment to uh, bond their marriage um, uh, and a commitment to, to do that by any means necessary. I mean, it's just amazing to me. There's so much depth to that. And that's why I'm so, uh, so excited about today's show, because what I know as a product of an interracial relationship, but obviously far more modern is that there is uh, definitely a commitment and, and numerous commitments that each one of my parents had towards one another, even in the face of pushback from their families at the time, because it still wasn't cool, you know, it still wasn't cool. And, and um, so I know that those bonds are very deep. <laughs> yes. You know, because uh, that level of commitment is very serious. And um, so I'm excited about today's show. So I want to know more about your, your family and also your work with Daughters Dialogue. And what you have learned with regards to interracial relationships um, as we move through um, from your own personal uh, uh, family narrative uh, and move into the examination of, of others and their experiences through interracial relationships. So I'm excited about that. So I am going to now just sort of shut up and let you take it because I know you got all this. Right. <laughs> Where would you like me to start with how I started the research or sure, shall we dive sure. straight into the stories? Yeah. How did, how did you start the research? It's a good place. I started the research because I am, as you said, a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. 
And as a member, I was looking to revitalize my chapter. So I invited a county executive to come to a meeting and I invited the Washington Post, which is my local newspaper, to cover the story. And they said, wait a minute, the county executive goes to events all the time. That's not the story. You are the story. How is it that you are a Black woman in the Daughters of the American Revolution? And so that ran on three quarters of a page in the Washington Post. After that, I was noticed by Harvard University and Professor Henry Louis Gates Jr., who is the host of the PBS special, Finding Your Roots, and many other specials, and offered a fellowship. So that's how I'm doing the non-resident fellowship with Harvard University's at Hutchin Center, as you mentioned earlier. So a part of this research, I decided to also document the lives of other women of color who descend from patriots of the American Revolution and their direct descendants of men and women who fought for the independence of America. Direct meaning that that is their great, 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 great grandparent who contributed to the cause for freedom for this country. And in those stories that these women are telling about their oral histories, a lot of these oral histories have never been documented. So they're being collected for the first time or heard, absolutely heard for the first time for many people. And we're talking about the complex relationship of interracial couples and the product of that. So I will tell you about some of the most fascinating ones. It's almost in every single story, believe it or not. A lot of people who see these women who descend from these patriots assume that their patriot was white. (laughs) I'm, I'm sorry, that their patriot was black. But in fact, the majority of the ones that I have identified, their patriot was white. And along the way, there was some type of interracial relationship, which brought about these women of color that we know today. First, this one that I think the most complex story that is in the podcast is by Bianca Alexander. Bianca is a Creole. She's from the Creole community in Louisiana. So if you want to talk about complex relationships, you talk about the Creoles. So they were mixed of African, European, French, German, Indian Americans. All of those races were mixing together very harmoniously before some different instances happened here in our history of the United States, where then people, the settlers, the European settlers came in and told them that that was a problem, or the white settlers came in, I should say. But before then, they all intermarried. And even to this day, it's still important for them to remain fair complexioned. And by doing so, they intermarry with their own cousins. So they, even to wow. this day, she has received a proposition from a cousin to have a child with her because they want to keep this Creole heritage. But going further, her grandmother, Lucy Couty, was shunned by her family because she started showing less European features than the rest of her siblings. Remember, they're, they're mixed with all these races mm-hmm. and the Af- more Afrocentric features began to come through. And she started associating with black friends, but they, her, uh, Bianca always knew her grandmother as white. She said, oh, grandma's white. But her grandmother had something called a Negro certificate from school. And that said that she was classified as a Negro because they sent her to the black school while the rest of her siblings went to the white school. 
but her grandmother ended up having children with black men. So her grandmother, even though she was shunned for looking too black, she decided to have children with a black man, but she identified as white. She eventually decided to what's called passe blanc, and that's pass for white. (laughs) And further back in Bianca's ancestry, her original ancestor from the Revolutionary War times married a Frenchman. So she was enslaved. Her her ancestor was named Marie-Therese Coincoin, and she married a Frenchman. Uh, I'm sorry, not married, but they had a placage relationship. So placage back in those times was a secondary wife. Here we go again. A man would have a, a primary wife, a white wife, and they would have a secondary wife through what's called a placage, a recognized relationship. And she had a recognized relationship with a Frenchman named Claude Thomas Pierre Matoire. And when he passed away, he gave her land and slaves and made her one of the wealthiest women in Louisiana was a woman of color and she owned slaves. And in those slaves, she ended up buying some of her own, her own family members to protect them. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That Creole thing, you just jump right in. It is like right. a moment. It's like, wow. Right. Oh, goodness. I mean, I, I can't even I don't even know where to begin with a question to throw at that. But I mean, <laughs> just listen. Um, wow. Wow. You know, and, and I think that's very interesting because we hear those terms Creole and all that. But I think that you gave us, at least for me, uh, probably the most thorough explanation of how what that really is. And and that that system that 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 I the idea of it, you know what right. I mean? It's like, yeah. And I would like to share with you the story of, of an American woman that isn't, you know, as complex as Creole, but she is, Af- she's a, she identifies as American with African ancestry, very different than saying she's African American. And I can tell you why. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, 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 let's start into this one and, uh, and see where we, where we go. Right. So she was forced into identify as either black or white because her mother's father, Shelly Murphy was white, right? So passing this genetic ancestry down to her, she looked very, very much fair skin. And people always asked her, what are you? Are you black or are you white? And mm-hmm. she didn't want to have the force because when she was living in Michigan and Hawaii, they, it wasn't the same type of obsession with having to identify, are you black or white as when she moved to the South? So things became much different and the emotional impact that it had for her to understand, I didn't know my ancestry was so mixed and now I have to decide. And that I, now today she decides to identify first as American, sec, second with African ancestry and her mm-hmm. Her ancestors, some of them passed for white and were uh, one of them. Calvin Davis was a gunner in World War II and he died in a plane crash in Miesburg, Germany, but they never knew that he was black until he died. And one of her black ancestors owned slaves, her black ancestor. This is another story where a black man or a black person was owning slaves. His name was James Roper. He was a slave of an interracial relationship. He was the, I'm sorry, he was the son of an interracial relationship. He was the son of a slave and a white man named Nicholas Roper who left everything to his mixed race son, including slaves. And half of those children decided to pass for white and the others decided to pass for black. 
Wow. Wow. Well, I do have I do have a couple of questions that I'm going to hit you with when we come back from yes. the break here. But uh, man, it is so rich when you peel that. It, it's an onion, isn't it? I mean, yes. there's a lot of layers. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Well, I'm so glad you're here and I can't wait to hear more. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires and I'm here with my special guest, Ms. Risha Rainey. We'll be back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspire Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspire Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspirechoicesnetwork.com. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. I'm sorry about that. I was just talking. I was doing my uh, ventriloquist <laughs> routine. Um, so we're here with Risha Rainey, and we're talking about interracial relationships throughout American history. And um, she's doing a very fascinating uh, research project called da Daughters Dialogue. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. But what you were just saying, I just want to clarify that Again, so often when we talk about interracial mixing, particularly during slave time, it was always 
it always generally gets couched as as rapes and brutal things and being taken advantage of. What you've clearly said, though, seems like there are clear indications that there were actual relationships. Isn't that interesting? And it's a history that not everybody wants to hear, black and white included, because it in somehow feels like we're implying that we're downplaying the horrors of slavery by telling these stories that don't reflect that. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's not it at all. We're telling a full history, history that people haven't really heard or understand yet. Right. Yeah. And it's not nearly as romantic, you know, a a dramatic a story than, you know, it's all brutal and, you know, blah, blah, you know, and it's the same thing when we get to really talk about the slavery function in and of itself and the folks in Africa who were brokering these deals. I've never been able to couch the fact that, that a boat full of white people, you know, it's sort of, and and to be crass and just blow it out of the water. I mean, people that basically glow in the dark, hit a, hit a continent of black people and somehow can take over a continent that never made any sense to me because I mean, you wouldn't, you just be overwhelmed stepping into somebody else's backyard. If we ever needed proof of that, all we had to do is look at our, what happened to America when we went into Vietnam. You know what I mean? It's when you step into somebody else's place, I mean, you, you really are, um, Uh, very vulnerable. And so it doesn't really matter how much power, how much gunpowder and all that stuff you have, you're going to be probably overwhelmed at some point. So similarly, the complete history, and and I think that that's far more fascinating than the, um, you know, than the, 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 the little narrow versions that we oftentimes get. So, um, so yeah, that that's that is awesome. So a couple of questions did come in, and I, I just want to I want to toss those out, and then let's get back to to this. And it was um, regarding the uh, how often did blacks or Creoles uh, also own slaves? One, and then um, did black slave owners treat the slaves differently? Right. So I want to give a disclaimer that I'm an engineer. I'm not a historian and I'm not a genealogist. So I'm going to tell you based on the stories that I've heard, not based on all the history that's out there because I'm not well versed in that. No, that's fine. That's okay. But that's a good question. There are the one story where I talked about James Roper owning slaves. He, because his father passed them down and Shelley Murphy's story, he, um, he, ended up killing one of his slaves. So that didn't, we, so we understand that there was some brutality there, but we also talked about Marie Therese coin coin, where her Frenchman in the placage relationship passed down slaves to her, but she was buying them for the purpose of protecting them. Okay. Okay. So you have both sides of the coin. Right. Right. Well, okay. That's fair enough. And, and, and I won't press in any further into that. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. And that, we'll leave it right there. So you were just telling me, um, so, so I'm going to hush now because you have these fascinating stories. Um, so I, I guess the, the thing that I would ask is what period, um, you know, what time frame these different relationships are taking place as you as you continue yes. sharing them, just yes. so we have a context. Good question. Thank you. We're talking the late 1700s and the early 1800s mostly. Okay. And now we're going to talk about one that also, we're going to flip the script a little bit. We talked right. about the white men with the enslaved women, the black women, but there were white women with 
black men <laughs> in these time frames. So there was a revolutionary war patriot called James Dew. He was the patriot of Stephanie Miller. He was a free man of color living with a white woman in the early 1700s and 18, in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Here's one, another one. Charlotte. Where, where did that take yes. place? What? I don't recall which state that was off the top of my head in for Stephanie's, but okay. I know for the next one in North Carolina, Charlotte okay. Chatfield, her great, great, great grandmother, Mary Pennegrass, had a child with a black man, Abe Horton, in 1871. I don't know how that black man survived, but he, that was a relationship and, uh, she descended from a Revolutionary War patriot, William Lindsay Durham, whose grandson is the namesake of the city in North Carolina, Durham. So as a result of this relationship, Mary Pennegrass, who was white, and Abe Horton, who was black, their child, they had a child named Luvinia, and she ended up marrying a black man. She could have passed her white, but she married a black man named Rob and they, the couple resided on a property together in Orange County, North Carolina. And afterwards, Rob ended up holding a great deal of land. And I know you hear me talking about passing for white a couple of times and or multiple times. And I want to explain yeah, please. the reason for that. Okay. In times of slavery, it was for survival. <laughs> so you could live. It was a it was a choice between life or death. If somebody thought you were white, you could live. If you were black, you were, you were likely going to be enslaved and that you would meet your demise somehow in slavery. Mm -hmm. And later on, it became a necessity for financial empowerment. So if you want to get a good job, you would pass for white. And so that was another means for survival. But passing was always a painful and difficult decision because that meant totally cutting off your family and assuming another identity and never speaking with your family again. So that's a very difficult decision to make that, that these people didn't take lightly. Yeah, that's, it sounds like a, like a, it's very much akin to like the witness protection program. I mean, right. literally you can't be in contact anymore <laughs> with right. your friends, family. Right. Because Joyce Mosley, who told her story, her white relatives that she had met recently that she, they, they didn't know each other before they connected through genealogy research. They were unaware of their black DNA because their ancestors were passing for white. So Joyce's grandmother's brother was colored as he was called when he was in Philadelphia. But when he traveled to Boston where he raises children, he was white. <laughs> and wow. she talked, Joyce ended up talking to the granddaughter of this family who did not know that he had been passing for white and always assumed her family was white because he had to cut off communications with his siblings he left in Philadelphia that were still claiming to be African-American. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the plot thickens. The right. Plot thickens. <laughs> I yes. Love, I so love you, it. You know, um, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting thing. Um, you know, a lot of times when people talk about the passing business, they, they, you know, look at it as if it's just like a vanity choice. And I, and I'm glad that you clarified that because that's the story. I mean, it was about economics. It was about safety. It was about 
um, a different series of things. It wasn't, you know, just getting a, you know, a discount on a cheeseburger at the, you know, <laughs> at the burger bar. Right. You know I mean? It's like, that's right. I don't know. I mean, you know, I always think about that and, uh, you know, and, and interesting conversations because I've, I've been one who is, you know, very, very, uh, you mentioned several things that are relevant and, and relative to even today, as you, you mentioned something about people having to choose, you have to choose this black, white thing. And I remember uh, enrolling in, in uh, elementary school, I mean, in school for the very first time, and, and my mom, I have a twin sister, and we are enrolling, and my mom is standing there, and she is Caucasian. She's from Arkansas. And she uh, is filling out the cards and all this sort of stuff, and then the race thing is sitting there. And so she, she checked off like the other thing and then circled both black and white on that card. And the secretary of the school looked at us. And then she made a modification on these cards. And this is a black school. I, I grew up, you know, it was, it was a black neighborhood school. And the woman made a modification on the card. My mom grabbed the card and looked at it and she wrote black on there. And my mom lost it. And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. I am their mother. I am clearly white. And it was like, and it was a debate. But that, that was my, my first experience with school is wrapped around you got to choose. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so that choice thing is weird. So um, I remember even socially, you know, in the cafeteria in high school, walk out with my my tray and I look left and I see all my white friends look right, see all my black friends. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I just opted out. I took my tray and I went to the band room into a practice room and played music because I refused to participate in that system you know i love you all so why is this what is that you know what i mean and yes. so i didn't want to give it any breath and that's just me but uh i that choice thing is a strange one i think the choice was made before i got here i mean that's i'm a result of something so it's not a um it's not quite uh quite quite that simple but that's again that's my been my path and but i think that some of those topics i mean choosing and you're, you're citing stories in the, you know, 17, 1700s, early 1800s of, of same things. I, I mean, you know what I mean? The same things yes. in, you know, 1970 or something, you know, it's, it's like, what is that? Um, strange, strange. Um, but we are going to, to prepare for another break. And then I will promise you, I'm going to get done with my stories because I'm done. I'm, I'm storied out for me, but I can't wait to hear more. You are listening to Bill Myers Inspires. And I'm here with my special guest today, Miss Risha Rainey. And she is a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> and we are talking about interracial relationships throughout American history, and it is a fascinating conversation, and we hope you'll stick with us when we get back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. 
As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. Here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back. And you're listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and I'm here with my special guest, Miss Risha Rainey. Risha, I promise you, I'm going to shut up now. So I'm going to okay. shut up now. You got it. We were talking about the white women having relationships with the black men, and there's another one that is the most recent story that I documented. That is of Karen Bachelor. Karen Bachelor was the very first black member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. That's the most historic historically significant interview that I will do in this context of Black women who descend from American Revolutionary War patriots. I just released the episode uh, this week, and it started off the season two of the Daughter Dialogues podcast. And Karen talks about how her white maternal great-grandmother Jenny Daisy Hood married Prince, a Black man named Prince Albert Weaver in 1889, Ohio. But Jenny's mother did not allow her to bring her own children with her to visit mom because they started showing their colored heritage. So that the, she disowned her. Jenny's mother disowned her because she married a black man. So these are the choices that they were making for love, as you say, and mm-hmm. they were willing to do this in order to, to remain together as a couple. So she was disowned by her own family. And then we have the stories of people who covered up. Oh, well, let's go before I talk about the cover ups. We were talking about how the stories of slavery aren't what we've always heard. And there were some relationships that were very caring and where they were taking care of the their their the ones that they loved. These white men were with these enslaved black women. And Michelle Campbell's story of the prominent John Hart, who was a grandson of the Revolutionary War patriot Robert Hart. I remember this story because he provided for her black ancestor, Hetty Valentine. And this is oral history that's being passed down, meaning the her ancestors recount him there not being a brutality in this relationship. There was a loving relationship in what they have heard and experienced. And she was able to speak with someone that was living where her came from her grandmother's own mouth, that they were living in the countryside as a black family. 
and John Hart, he had his two families again, the black side, the black uh, family was in the countryside and he had a white family in the city. And there was a white uncle Jesse that would bring cinnamon rolls from the city to the black family. And this was a acknowledged relationship. Everybody knew it in town. Like he, they were prominent and everybody acknowledged that he had this black family too. And John Hart ended up granting the, the black and his and, uh, descendants property to them. And there was Richard Moray. He was, uh, Joyce Mosley is this, a descendant of the first mayor of Philadelphia. And her ancestor, Richard Moray, lived as husband and wife with a mixed race woman named Cremona, although it was illegal. And he arranged for 198 acres of land to be transferred to her, making her one of the richest women in Philadelphia. So these white men and their relationships with these women were making them the richest in the state. Wow. Wow. (laughs) But then there were cover-ups, right? So not everybody wanted to acknowledge these relationships like we talked about. Uh, Unfortunately, there were some that Adrienne Abiodun, she discovered that the Black man listed as the father on her grandfather's birth certificate was a lie. But instead, it was a white man from 1924 segregated Mississippi. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And then Holly Henderson, she had to solve the mystery, a 120-year-old mystery of finding the father of the descendant of her Revolutionary War patriot was a white man who had a relationship with a slave. And this white man petitioned the court to take care of their sons and left land to her. So again, these men are passing down land and taking care of their descendants. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, like I said, you said you had stories and I, I, you got them because you yes. <laughs> go, wow. So, so how common, I, I, I guess I want to say, how commonplace were these types of relationships as these women that you are have been interviewing are, are of course, mostly sharing their own family stories, but is there a, um, I don't know, a, a culture or, you know what I mean, a, a certain uh, subgroup of folks who just that's how they rolled. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to, to really understand because it seems, uh, I mean, it's awesome that, uh, that these things occurred because again, I, it, it is a clear testament to the fact that we're human beings and it's, this race thing is really not quite, you know, as sound as one would think because we become attracted to people. And then we want to share our lives with, people. Um, and I don't know that we always get to sort of put it through the filter of what color is the person being the dominant thing, what my heart feels or, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. All I can do is try to extrapolate the data because I'm a mathematician and, and an engineer. So we have a subgroup of women that I've observed. And these are, I have done 14 or 15 women so far. And out of all of them, I've, you've heard probably 14 or 50 sto- 15 stories from me just now. And it's so that says that out of this group, almost everybody, if not everyone, I'm almost comfortable saying everyone has one of these stories in their history that I've sampled so far. So 
Wow. If you increase that sample size, wouldn't the trend continue? That would be a good assumption to make. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it would seem that even within those families, there are probably multiples of those kinds of offshoots, you know what I mean, that are that are yes. variations on a theme, right? Right. And then we're having stories of present day coming together. So of the descendants of these mixed families. So let's say that there was an enslaver who had children with an enslaved woman. So a white man, black woman, their descendants are now finding each other present day and didn't know about that. So they're related, but then how do you, how do you resolve those feelings about, Hey, your ancestor, well, also their ancestor used to own my ancestor. So it's a little complicated when they meet, but there's a lot, some of them don't want to meet when they find out the white relatives find out what has happened in the past that they have slave owning ancestry as well as black relatives that exist today because of it some of them don't want to hear that history but some of them are embracing it and reaching out to the black women that I've interviewed and they're coming together for joint family reunions um they're discovering like, hey, we have Black ancestry in, in our history. And some of these Black women are taking them to the ancestors' burial sites. And they're visiting graveyards where they're having common shared ancestry together. Joyce Mosley took the woman who discovered of her Black hair ancestry through their shared family and took her to the museum together in Philadelphia to see the only painting of their family that exists, um, the only family painting of a Black woman of that time or couple in the Philadelphia Museum. They went to go see that together. And there's also the story that I really like of Nikki Williams Sebastian. Her, she connected with. So it's a two-way street. Sometimes the Black women are reaching out to these unknown white relatives, and sometimes they're receptive. So it goes both ways. And somehow mm -hmm. she connected with the white descendants of her ancestors in slaver. And of course, they have shared ancestry together. They're related. And he was Mormon. And he they went out to Utah to the, the man's Mormon church. And he got up in front of the congregation and said, this is my newly formed cousin or found cousin. We share ancestry and my ancestor used to own her ancestors. And I want to I want to say that that was a very bad thing. And he stood up in front of his congregation and explained this to his Mormon congregation. And Nikki's aunt ended up converting to Mormonism. So there's just, there's so many and they maintain a friendship today. Wow. I, you know, it is so encouraging. I mean, when, when these things, when, when there is a willingness to uh, engage the truth from both sides and, and they're able to come together. Um, and cause as you stated, I mean, many times they do not want to uh, know anything about it. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's very interesting. There's a, uh, are you familiar with um, Sharon Leslie Morgan? No, tell me about her. Yeah, Sharon <laughs> Leslie Morgan is the founder of BlackAncestry.com. Okay. And she is a friend and, um, and has done tons of work in, you know, in, in genealogy, Black genealogical society. And she, she's very, very, very involved. And, um, she was just explaining the the complexity of of uh, black heritage and 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 black folks, uh, you know, trying to engage like uh, ancestry.com or something. You only go back so far before you hit a, sort of hit a wall, 
And that's where blackancestry.com really specializes because they're able to trace back even further because these are not issues uh, or records that were kept as far as birth certificates or, uh, you know, uh, um, that type of material, but she said it would be found in property deeds and things like that. You know, I will use the table and Mary, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it gets yes. very complicated wills and things like that, where property was left behind and they were often people. Um, so, but she does some pretty fascinating work and, um, but anyway, she's someone you should, you should, you should know about for sure, because, um, uh, she probably has, uh, adjacent information. So, um, so, okay. So this is a good question. It just in from my uncle in Chicago, <laughs> he says for the audience, historically, what is the importance of a black woman having a high position in the daughters of the American revolution? Okay. <laughs> yes. I think it's important to show our representation within the society, our ancestors, meaning the black women that are also members fought and gave and participated in the cause for freedom for the United States of America. And over, as you mentioned in the opening five or 6,000 men and women of color fought for the independence of the United States of America. So not only were people of color in the actual revolutionary war, the descendants, although some of our, our ancestors, as I mentioned, were white and were Black products of these interracial relationships that came down through the lineage lines, it's important to see the representation within the society and to evolve, I guess I'm hoping that even outside of the society, people will see that there's a Black leader in the Daughters of the American Revolution. That means that they're, they, they belong. We belong. We belong as a people, meaning Black people belong as a people in the United States of America and that we are entitled to the liberties of this country. It is our country. We fought for it. <laughs> We're the products of it. It is our country. In the history books, they don't really represent the founders as people of color, do they? And this is to be able to tell a more honest truth and to update the, the narrative of American history. That sounds like a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. Very nice. I never expected to be a leader in the DAR. I didn't go in trying to uh, climb any kind of ladder. Actually, I was a very lazy member when I first joined. I went to meetings and I sat there and I just listened to the ladies talk because it was a luncheon meeting. And it was kind of funny to see the, the senior later, ladies kind of let it all hang out. And I enjoyed it. It was kind of comedic. And then I became vested in the society. At some point, I became friends with the ladies. I enjoy their company. We are friends. We've cried together. We've laughed together. And I wanted to be a part of building the organization. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you are in Maryland? That's correct. Okay. And there are numerous chapters, correct, across the country? 3,000 chapters in the United States and worldwide. They have units overseas as well. Wow. And there's over 180,000 members. Hmm. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the world's largest women's service organizations. 
so what sir what do they do what what type of uh activities do you guys uh the daughters of the american Revolution projects activities yes. i don't know what the right word is that's right uh, the, the mission is to promote patriotism patriotism education and historic preservation so there are a lot of projects that fall under those three categories they have scholarships. They do a lot for literacy, veterans work. Uh, so women's issues. My chapter was supporting a women's domestic abuse shelter. So there's, if you find a, something that you're interested in, you can probably work it in there somehow. That's awesome. That's awesome. You, you heard it. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really wonderful. Like I say, um, uh, you, you learn something every day. You learn something every day. So we are going to jump out and take one more break and then we'll come back and listen to a little bit more. I am so happy that you're here, Risha. <laughs> We're in it. We're in it. Yes. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires right here on the Inspired Choices Network. We'll be right back in just one moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. Here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers. And today, we are here with my special guest, Miss Risha. Rainy, Risha, it's awesome. You, you got you got stuff. You you did not you did not fall short there. So I want to just take a moment and um, ask you about your own uh, profession and professional business. I want to make sure that we we know who you are besides who you are <laughs> and how you roll. So tell us a bit about your career and your profession and your biz and yes I am a mechanical engineer from George my degree is from Georgia Tech and a mathematician from Spelman College 
great HBCU there. And (laughs) my business is called Inside Corporation. You spell it like encyclopedia, E-N-C-Y-D-E. And we are a systems engineering company. What we do is make sure that when a customer is procuring a new system, it could be a IT system, anything, a human resources system or handheld radio devices. We've even done trash compactors, believe it or not. We make sure that they aren't getting ripped off and that they are the customer is getting what they expect. We come in and make sure it meets their requirements. If you think of building a house, you wouldn't get the same person who built it to inspect your house, would you? You, you want to have somebody to come in with a third party, independent view of what you're getting. And that's what we do. We protect our and advocate for our customers. We are currently ranked in the top 4% of women-owned businesses nationwide, not just Black businesses, but all women-owned businesses nationwide. And I like to tell people that that might sound impressive, but I should be a multi-billionaire like Bill Gates or, <laughs> or Steve Jobs or <laughs> Jeff Bezos. I should be one, of, or, but I'm not because the disparity between women-owned and male-owned businesses so men, you know, men who are ranking that top 4%, their, their financial assets look a lot different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to trade that bank account. Anyway, right. you know, yeah. like, I want your bank card. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you are doing uh, amazing work. Um, this, this project, Daughters Dialogue, and the research involved in these conversations with these wonderful women, and you know, the history that you're uncovering is invaluable because I think, as we, as we said earlier, it helps give a more complete picture of this, this nation because we certainly know that the history, as we were taught, uh, you know, was was through all kinds of filters and uh, we, we, we still have not heard the real and we're in the process of uncovering the real. And I, and I think that it's fantastic when someone is uh, like yourself is so instrumental in doing that, that provides a lot of clarity and, uh, and hopefully educates better as we move forward um, our young people and our society so that we can address some of the biases that are actually incorrect. You know what I mean? I mean, I hate to say, but these, some of these biases are completely incorrect. So, um, so let's, let's see how this goes, but I I thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to wish you all the best on your continued work with the daughters of the American revolution, as well as your, your uh, daughter's dialogue, uh, your, and your insight. Uh, inside company. yes inside thank you. and i and i want you to have that bank account that exceeds <laughs> jeff bezos and <laughs> so this has been wonderful and i'm going to have you back because there's some other things that i'm sure we can we awesome. can get into so um again thank you so much for being a part of this program and being my very first show for black history month thank you yeah I'm honored thank you yeah thank you so much All right. Tune in next week for another part of our Black History Month. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. Thank you so much. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in and ask that you please tune in for the rest of this month. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Thank you for spending your afternoon right here with us at Bill Myers Inspires. 
Remember, we're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Inspired Choices Network. Remember to take time this week to take a breath and look within yourself and figure out how you can make a positive difference in this world. Spread the word, and we'll see you here next Friday. Have a wonderful week.